Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Slap Out. You can't be serious. Not Slap Out. (laughs) Slap Out, Oklahoma. I know. It never ceases to amaze me. What our predecessors came up with in naming cities, but that's a city, Slap Out, Oklahoma. I would love to hear the history, but I don't imagine anyone can find it. That's right. And if they could? Yeah, it was between just two guys. It is Oklahoma. The best thing that came out of Oklahoma is Garth Brooks. And who was that linebacker at Oklahoma? The Boz. Yes, Bosworth. Bosworth. Yeah, Bosworth and Garth Brooks. Those are my two thoughts about what's made Oklahoma worth being there as a state. But anyway, slap out. And I was thinking this is a great city to be in, Bear, because we deserve a slap upside the head for leaving several things out of the last episode when we began talking about what coaches should focus on. And I thought maybe one way of starting this podcast would be to reclaim a couple of those. One of them that was brought to mind for me was when you raised the question, so what about parents? How do they do coaching? And although we spent a fair amount of time talking about that, our end result was it's a tough call. Coaching as a parent is difficult. And one of the points you brought up, which I think we want to emphasize again before we move on, was the idea you really can't want more for the person who's expected to perform, be it an employee, an athlete, and a child, than they want for themselves. And that's where most of us as parents get caught in this balancing act of we just simply want more for them than they want for themselves. Oh, yeah, that goes horribly wrong. (laughs) I can remember umpiring a Little League game, and there was a father in the stands screaming at his son who was in right field. (laughs) (laughs) Who wasn't quite sure which hand to put the glove on. (laughs) And here's his father screaming at him to be ready for any line drives off the wall, any circus catches he might make. And all the little guy wanted to do was not embarrass himself. That's right. All the little guy, I mean, he was picking up flowers. He was enjoying himself. All he wanted to do was not embarrass himself. That's one of these tragic cases of a dad wanting more for the son than the son wants for themselves. Terrible coaching situation. Well, in those stories are legion. I can't think of very many parents. I don't know any parent who don't want more for their children than the children want for themselves. Now, you raised the question about our parents and them raising children and that generation. And maybe that was the case that they didn't have high expectations or they weren't plugged in. But in today's parenting model, and we talk about when trophy kids grow up and helicopter parents and all those kinds of things, I think it's becoming even more prevalent. So it becomes even more difficult for parents to say, I think I'll try to be a coach to my kids rather than be a parent because coaching demands that issue of balance. And the thought I had when I said that I thought we deserved a slap upside the head was that there is a way I think that parents can take advantage of being a coach. And that's when the opportunity presents itself. My comment to parents out there is be opportunistic. 
when it comes to coaching your children. Look for the time where they might be most receptive. Look for the time where there might be the least resistance and use that time as a possible learning moment. The story I have is with my oldest, Rob, when he was 16, he was working for American Eagle and he was came down the stairs one day all in a hurry. And I said, where are you headed? He says, I'm going out to the store, dad. I'm getting ready to confront my boss. And I said, you're going to confront your boss. She's called a meeting that we're supposed to be at in the next 30 minutes. And I'm going to have to confront her about flat out lying to us. I said, so you're going to call your boss a liar in an open meeting? And uh, he said, yeah. Would you mind if I gave you a little bit of advice? And he said, no, not interested. This is the right thing to do. I've got to do the right thing. And I said, well, you know, Rob, I get paid a lot of money to give this kind of advice. I'd be glad to give you my thoughts on maybe the way to handle this. He said, no, I'll let you know how it goes. Out he goes, out of the house. And I'm thinking to myself, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, he's going to be home and he's toast. Well, sure enough, about 45 minutes to an hour later, back in the door, he walks. And I said, how'd it go? He said, I got fired. And I said, <laughs> I said, oh, uh, so it, it didn't go particularly well. He said, no. He said, in fact, I'm interested in what, what you were going to try to tell me before I left the house today. <laughs> I told him that train has left the station. But we did talk a little bit, okay, how do you handle these going forward? Because you're going to have other bosses that, in your opinion, have lied. You're going to have other bosses that have not treated employees fairly. And part of being successful and staying in the organization is figuring out how do I confront that, live up to my own sense of moral code and integrity, and yet at the same time, not do it in such a way that I'm shown the door, which is exactly what happened in this situation. Well, you know, Bob, I think that is the most difficult thing for a parent in a coaching role is to to be alert to the opportunity and to realize that we probably always need to want the best for our children, but we also might not always be the best to define that. Mm. Mm -hmm. There'll come a time when defining what the best is for them needs to be left with them. And we just want to support them getting there if we think that is something that would make their life better for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, we're using examples of young children and your parenting, your coaching, and that's easier because they tend to be more receptive then. But as soon as that adolescence occurs, and as soon as that, as you said before, that struggle to be independent becomes very active, then your coaching has to become even more opportunistic mm-hmm. because it's not going to always receive a solid reception. The story I gave was a real story. And my memory was I was surprised at myself that I was so calm watching all this go down. Because I knew that this was not going to end well, and there was no way that I could head it off. And so it was one of those of saying, well, am I really being a good parent? By stepping back and letting him go ahead and do what he was going to choose to do, and then experience the consequences of that, and then make it a more teachable moment, that what you're really looking for as a parent when you say, I want to try to be a little more oriented towards coaching my children, you're looking for the moment. You're looking for that opportunity. Now, this is not what this session is about. Go ahead. One more comment in there. I don't know if it's about as much about coaching as it is about parenting with teenagers. The most successful parents to me are the ones who give up authority before the kids rip it away from them. Hmm. The most successful parents are the ones who give up smaller increments of authority before they're taken. So what you begin to do is exchange directive authority for influence. Mm Mm-hmm. I begin to stop becoming the authority on everything and expand my realm of influence where then they begin to come and ask questions. 
And you commented on that, uh, I don't think on the podcast, but as we were preparing for the podcast earlier, just in terms of coaching in general, that's one of the phenomenons you have to live with is that you're willing to give up that authority, be it power authority, legitimate authority that comes by virtue of your role in the system you're operating in to gain influence. And I think that's absolutely true of all coaches. So here again, we talk about parents. That's one of the struggles, but that's also one of the moves that you need to make as that child grows is that willingness and ability to give up that authority in the hopes of, and we believe, in order to gain influence with those children who are becoming adults. Okay, there were two other things we wanted to talk about in terms of what the coach focuses on that we didn't mention. And one was the notion of attitude. One of the things that they can focus on and, and need to focus on is the attitude of the performer. And then we want to go back and again, talk about this balance of not wanting more for the person who's performing the task than they want. So want to grab either one of those? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the attitude. To me, coaching someone, the variable that's the most difficult to get a handle on is their attitude in terms of change. Now, I mean, a lot of other things you can change because uh, they, they have behaviors. You can change the way they move, the way they respond, the way they throw, the way they hit, the way they give feedback. You, you have behavior. But with attitude, until you can get it into a behavioral picture, they often don't respond well to you attacking it, hmm. assessing it, because they say, well, if you're safe, you have a bad attitude. Their first reaction is going to be, no, I don't. <laughs> You're the one that's got the attitude. There it is right there. It's coming right back at you. <laughs> no, so this attitude variable, overall, it is critical to endurance. It's critical to willingness to work harder at something, to endure something much longer than you might otherwise. I mean, in a business setting, if I'm a supervisor, if I've got someone who I am managing and they're not responding, well, your attitude as the manager of that spot is critical to your level of endurance. Hmm. It's critical to how long you're going to provide enough positive feedback, enough information that these people will change. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a coach, attitude is important, but certainly as the person receiving the coaching, their attitude, you feel as a coach is critical. Yes. If they're not open, if they're not committed to the process, if they're not willing to see themselves accurately, if they only want this positive regard, it's unlikely that they're going to develop the attitude necessary to truly respond. Yes. And you know, what's interesting is I think that's another example of where coaching as a parent is so different than coaching anyone else, because you can't ever really give up on your kids. Now, maybe some parents do, but we certainly believe and say, you just got to hang in there with them. That's what family is about. But my view as a consultant is if I get attitude from one of my clients, or if I get attitude from an executive I'm coaching, I say, hey, you need to find someone else. It's uh, easier to walk away when you're in an adult to an adult situation. And as a leader, I'm assuming that as you're trying to coach someone and they're giving you attitude, that they're resisting, they're not responding, they're not trying to work through the feedback you're providing. But let me ask you, because you've been in that setting, how do you say, here's how we're going to do this? What is the next move then when someone's demonstrated that they're not yet ready to step up and change their behavior? Well, I tend to do what you do in nearly every situation. I start asking questions. Mm. I start asking, well, what do you think's holding you back? What do you think's keeping you from getting to this next level? What makes this particular request on my part more difficult or creates more resistance in you than other requests I make. Hmm. So I begin to turn back and ask them, what are you focused on? Ask questions related to what do they see taking place? 
and their role in it. So it's almost the opposite of what you were saying earlier. Whenever you're experiencing resistance and a pushback in terms of attitude, you don't attack that. You don't go after that because that serves no constructive purpose. So what you do is you begin to ask questions to see if you can open that up and explore more. Where's that coming from? What is the issue here that may not have been at other places? Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. You and I talked about this. Since we're talking about coaching and it's a experience that's pretty common to most of us. Who's your favorite coach and why? Hmm. Well, I bet we're the same. Mike Jones. Absolutely. The infamous Mike Jones. Right. Not the world famous Mike Jones, because I'm not sure Mike Jones was known by a lot of the world, but he certainly was known by us. He was our freshman baseball coach. And as anyone would know, in public high schools, particularly ones we went to, coaches were just picked out of the blue. (laughs) They often didn't have a background. And if they did, who knows why they had it. And so my memory of him was that he was brought in uh, as a freshman baseball coach. He went on to be this the swimming coach, as I remember it, at Hazel Park, and then even went further. He went to Eastern Michigan University, and he had national championships at Eastern mm-hmm. in swimming. Put in a swimming hall of fame. To my knowledge, I never saw him swim a lap. I, mean, I didn't know if he could swim. <laughs> he was such a great coach, he could coach almost anything. Now, talk to me about that, because what would you say caused him to be that kind of coach? Because both of us picked him. Well, I think he had a rare gift, and that was a gift of sharing a vision of of winning, of competing, and making you believe everything was possible. He was remarkably inspirational while being fundamentally very sound. He was very disciplined. He asked us to be very disciplined. But when it came right down to it, he just loved what he was doing, and he infected the rest of us with it. He did introduce discipline in that way now that you mentioned it. I think the other thing that I think about Mike Jones is passion. The guy was just absolutely passionate about the sports that he coached. And I would assume any anything he got involved with, he had a level of passion, which we don't address. But I think there is something to be said there with this notion of coaching, that if as a coach, you don't have a passion for coaching, you don't really have an interest in seeing the other get better, you're probably not going to be a good coach. Because passion is really valuable. Any other thoughts on Jones? You asked that question. No, I just I so fondly remember him and think of him as not the ideal coach, but as a coach I would play for. When you hear these guys talk about, there's a guy I lay it down for. But you're talking about freshman high school. We'd go almost anywhere for a hamburger. So we laid it down daily for a root beer. That's for a root beer. (laughs) Oh, we probably want to move on to what the coach provides. But frankly, we've only got a few minutes left in the podcast. So I'm not sure that we want to grab a hold of all of these and run with them. Any thoughts on maybe creating an outline of where we're headed? Well, one of the things I wonder we might ask our listeners to do is think of either movies or pictures, videos they've ever had of good coaching. Hmm. And because we're going to talk about some of those principles, like one of the things I'm going to bring up is one of the coaches in the Chariots of Fire movie. who coached the sprinter because one of the things the coach provides is this nuanced eye. He can see what you can't see. He could see a slight hand movement Mm -hmm. would create a hundredth of a second difference. And and I always remember that movie as being one of the better characterizations of what it takes to be a true world-class coach Mm. as well as a world-class athlete. Mm -hmm. Then I also think another movie for me that stands out in remarkable coaching is Remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. So Washington and that situation in Alexandria, Virginia, where they integrated. Of course, he had a he had a great soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you not have a 
a good coaching experience when you got a soundtrack like that, you know? Maybe that's what we need to advise our listeners to do, is develop their own coaching soundtrack. That's right. Your playlist. Get the right playlist. Now, I love that movie, and it was so powerful on so many different levels. You said, let's raise for the listeners, get them thinking about movies they've seen or things they've seen that would cause them to be good coaches. I would encourage us to not stay strictly in the athletic realm because that's where we go to. Almost inevitably, when we think of coaches and coaching, we think of athletics. And that's a natural. I mean, it's where it plays itself out on the big screen, so to speak. But I think there are lots of situations where you might, as a listener, think about coaches you've seen in the business world, just in life in general, uh, sometimes in your church, in your synagogue, where you live and breathe. You see people doing coaching and you think that's a really good model. And the thing we want to talk about is what are they actually doing? What's causing them to be a good coach? I'm assuming, Bear, that's the question you want us to be asking them is, so what's going on here? Why are they rated so highly by you? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the models tend to be athletic because they're good to sell, that you can sell those in movies. The fact is that part of the reason why athletics is good models is because it's seasonal. Because you (laughs) you can see the coaching in the season. Uh Uh-huh. When I'm coaching daily for years in a manufacturing operation, you can't see it as well. You don't don't get the periods that begin and end where you can say, yeah, I was successful there. So that's part of the dilemma in the non-athletic world to me in coaching is that you don't have seasons. You got to do it all the time, day in, day out. That is interesting. And you get turnover and personnel that you don't have any control over and in, in operations and manufacturing and you still got to make it work but you don't get that nice scoreboard that athletics provides that really lets you know how you're doing i have frequently said and it comes to athletics more coaching makes a difference you watch these teams that get a new coach and all of a sudden the team gets turned around and you think okay Coaching makes a difference. And I think that's true in worlds other than athletics. But oftentimes, and that's the point I wanted to make with your example, was you can't see it. In athletics, you can see it. It's out there. It's visible. It's on the TV. They keep score. Now, in the business world, we keep score too, but it's not that short-term seasonal score that you're talking about. It's not that week-by-week score, although we are trying to do that. And that's going to be one of the issues that you bring up. And you've said it before, you cannot manage what you can't measure. And so we've got to have ways of getting right down to the behaviors. The view that affects me or what you're saying is it is one of those that Sports is so easy because it's so visible and you can see it. And it, you can see it in almost an immediate fashion. Where in some of these other places, coaching makes a difference. It always makes a difference, but you can't see it. Yep. Any other thoughts on that one? I can wait until we move on and delve into what the coach really provides and how the coach provides it. Okay. So we'll do some delving next episode. Although, well, let's do it gently. Well, I always delve gently. Okay. I used to delve hard, but not anymore. Yeah, I used to be a headlong delver, but not anymore. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.